It is Friday, the 11th of December, 2020, and the time is 7.05 p.m. I am joined here today by a really dear family friend, a close friend of my mum's and also a colleague of hers, Rolf Killius. Hi, Rolf. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. I think you have a lot of stories that would be very uh, interesting for people to listen to. Um, so I've known you for many years. Um, as I said, you're a friend of my mom's, and I think you see me grow up from a little girl to, to now. Um, and I know that you've done some really cool things. I'm going to quickly read out uh, the first line of your biography on your website. Um, it says here that you are a consultant, um, exhibition curator, oral historian, ethnomusicologist, sound and film producer, editor, radio journalist, uh, etc. And the list goes on and on. And it's really, really impressive. And I can't wait to dive into that. Uh, and as part of your profession, you've also traveled everywhere, it seems, and lived in many places. Um, so I'll, I'll let you I'll let you to explain all of that. But how about we start from the beginning? So why don't you tell us where and when were you born? Yeah, as, as you can imagine, I was born in the second part of the last century even. And um, I was born in the Upper Rhine Valley in Germany, which is on the border to France and Switzerland. And of course, that's basically where I was born. It's in a small place just across the border to France. So it was within a few footsteps, you could just cross the Rhine River and be in France. So I think it was already there that uh, there was an outlook on the other side and, uh, and possibly um, uh, you mentioned all the travels, you know, possibly when I was young, I was standing at the Rhine River, which is a mighty river, was looking at the big ships going past, but of course they never stopped in this small place. And I said, oh, one day I will sit on, a, I will travel with such a ship somewhere, you know, to, to a faraway place. And you definitely did. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> went on to do that later on in life. <laughs> yeah. What was your childhood like? It seemed very picturesque, very beautiful. But what, what was your childhood like? I think it's a, a um, there are small villages along the River Rhine, and uh, we grew up in, 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 yeah, in a very rural environment. I think it was just the change from some people still did agriculture when I was young. And of course, now nowadays, nobody does any agriculture, even in the villages, you know. But uh, in a way, um, um, I think it was a nice environment. And uh, I think when we were kids, we spent our holidays actually uh, roaming the forest. There was this, this uh, Rhine forest uh, surrounding the, the, the backwaters of the Rhine. And we, we always, uh, went there and I was looking at uh, birds and eggs, uh, was stealing some eggs from the birds and climbing up the trees and uh, and this was kind of a way we spent all day outside, you know, so that was our upbringing. This was quite a nice environment and a clean environment and uh, lots of lakes were there, lots of uh, little streams and uh, of course, my father was emphasizing, you are allowed to go out, but you have to swim. You have to be able to swim, you know, because otherwise when you fall in, you will be there, will be gone. So, so you were in touch amazing. with nature from, from day one, it seems. 
Yeah, I think that was quite a, a natural environment and uh, we, we, we loved it very much, you know, but still we, when I grew up a bit older, I felt it was very provincial in a way, you know, so we wanted to go away and that was the next small town. We were very happy. So for the secondary school, I went to, um, to the next small town and I was very happy to be there because I, I got a new world, you know, there were libraries, there were concerts and theatres and and um, I think the, the school emphasized that we should uh, uh, get access to this kind of things. And of course, uh, the most important things, they, they had a band room, you know, where they had musical instruments, guitars and bass and drum kits and stuff, you know. So we started playing quite early music. So that was something exciting. Yeah, well, you've actually just answered my next question, which was, well, what were your hobbies growing up and why music? Um, so you, you said you had this this band that you were I part it, of. I, I don't know. It started uh, at the time. It was still uh, the, the we had. I don't know why we had lots of radios in our place. So okay. I had even a radio. I had a radio uh, in my bedroom, which was a huge one, a chunky one, you know, and uh, which a good good sound and all this, and we could get all radio stations, and there were radio stations like. Uh, Radio Luxembourg and stuff, they played the, the newest hot stuff, you know, and other radio station from uh, different parts of Europe, you could uh, listen to the so-called uh, hit parades, you know, the, the kind of the hits and stuff, you know, so I was, I think I was 11 when I started listening to this kind of stuff, you know, and I got interested in music, so that was definitely my biggest hobby, apart from being outside and uh, doing things uh, outside, you know. Yeah, and so 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 this was all in um in the Rhine in in Germany. Is that correct? You said, yeah, At the Rhine Valley. So it's the it's, Rhine it's, Valley. Uh, in, in, in little villages, and uh, later in secondary school, I went to the uh, in a, uh, I went to this next small town. So, yeah, great. And how how long were you were you there for? So was it after after school you then moved away, or what happened after school? Yeah, I think at the time, uh, I think I was, um, it was a natural process. I think I was 20 or something. And then I, after, after school, after my A-levels, I, um, I uh, had to do some civil service, which was either you go to the, uh, to the army or you had to go to do some certain civil service. Civil service meaning you have to work in a hospital or somewhere. And I decided that I don't like the army at all. And so I went to work in a hospital. And interestingly, it was a hospital that treated uh, uh, people with drug problems and alcohol problems. And of course, it's interesting when you come as a 20 year old in such an institution, you know, because I, you had to you have a chance to to, to experience what it is to be on drugs or on alcohol, you know, because the people, the patients there, they tell you the stories. And so in a way it was quite a, a important uh, lecture in life, you know, so what could happen to you if it, if your way in life goes wrong, you know? And I spent about 16 months there and uh, there was also included accommodation and stuff. So from then onwards, I, I was, um, so that was a natural way out of my, for my home place, for my family. Mm. And so I had my own place from then onwards. Yeah, it's life lessons, um, sort of in your early adulthood. And if we just go back to just before that, I'm jumping a bit. But if we go back to before um, growing up, 
Uh, well, this podcast explores culture and identity. Um, and growing up where you did, how would you define your identity? I don't know. I, I don't think I have, uh, a, a, at the time I thought about something like identity, you know, it's, I, don't, I think that's not uh, such a thing. I think we had a, um, there was always a kind of outlook. I think this, this idea, listening to radio and all this, listening to music, uh, straight away gave me a, a impact from the outside world because the bands were basically British bands, very much British bands and American, but mainly British bands. And in my uh, yeah childhood rooms at the beginning, I had uh, I put up uh, uh, pictures from pop bands at the time, like the Beatles and the Bee Gees, the Stones and all, and they were all huge posters, and I, the whole the whole room was covered in this kind of. <laughs> uh, so that was like your posters. outlook into the world. I think that was the that yeah. was the way. So I think uh, from then on, maybe I I remember I had a very early interest, you know, and then and, and I think that my parents also they had this kind of liberal magazines where you could uh, see what's happening uh, around the world and in mm. different parts of the countries. And I always like to read this and uh, look at the pictures and stuff like this. So maybe. Uh, maybe that's when you come from a small place you want to look outside what is outside and what about your parents you, you touched on them briefly w were they pushing you to go out there into the world and see what else there is i think uh, um i think my parents generally they were quite open-minded in a way you know but they had not the access i had you know we, we were a kind of new uh, generation, a completely new generation. My parents, they had still this kind of, they were, they had still this experience when it was difficult to get things uh, done, you know, economically, it was quite difficult, you know, so it was, it was not after the Second World War, but it was later, you know, but, but, but still, uh, you could see at the beginning, there was a, a motorbike, and then there was a small car, and then a little bit bigger car, and this kind of stuff. I think my parents were very much into this. Uh, yeah, and they were building uh, their own house and all this. So they're, they're, they're providing for a family, like uh, in my family, we had uh, four, we were four children. And of course, it was not easy for uh, ordinary people to, to make a living out of this. So I think their concern was very much to make a living, to look after the children, you know. And we youngsters, we had completely a different world. We, we were rebellious, you know, we, we looked into a little bit later when we got older, we looked into uh, politics, uh, left-wing politics, and were critical about this uh, uh, NATO or about the, the army and stuff like this and also uh, we lived in a very beautiful area and something interesting happened uh, at that time um, maybe early 70s they uh, they wanted to put up a nuclear power station in the Rhine Valley uh, of course they said it's for the for the energy we need you know but of course already there it was clear we don't need that much energy you know so we ca how can we destroy such a beautiful area which is also a huge wine growing area agricultural area and somehow even as children we already got engaged in this anti-nuclear uh, power station uh, movement which was there so that means uh, 
uh, we went to places which were designated to be uh, for a nuclear power station to be built. And then we just uh, occupied the space, you know. So there was one one I when I was uh, I was still in school, uh, we we there was one place just opposite on the other side of the Rhine in, in France in Alsace. And they wanted to put a, a nuclear power station just there, you know. And then all the villages, the French villages and the German villages, um, they decided that we, we do a, a night wake. So every night a different village is responsible to be there and that nobody can uh, start with, a, with the construction. And what happened is uh, till today, they were not able to build a single nuclear power station in this part on the German side. They built one on the French side quite far away but not a single one on the German side. So I think it was quite, I think we grew up in this movement, you know, that you have to say what is right and you don't have to accept everything what any government or whoever provides for you or wants, to, wants you to do. And of course it was a right decision. Even today, it was not necessary to build this nuclear power station because even now uh, Germany is uh, getting away uh, um, that they go, go, want to go away altogether from nuclear power station because they are too, too dangerous. So it seems like you've had this sense of community spirit, community protest against standing up for what is right from early on. Is that how you would describe your neighborhood, a community feel? I think this was uh, definitely something what uh, what I'd uh, what gave me identity to live in the area there, you know. So when you grow up a little bit later, maybe maybe that's the answer to your, to your question. So I think I got an identity. We belong to this community in a way, although we were young and we were had a different way of life. But but I think through this this uh, anti nuclear movement, I think we had this identity. We can do something. We belong together. We have to um, we have to voice our opinion, you know. And at you the same time, when, yeah, to make a change, yes. And at the same time, when we uh, we stayed at these places in the night, it was, so we stayed all all night. And of course, most of the night we were just sitting there. And uh, the other villagers they brought us some food, and then and we were playing guitars and uh, singing mm -hmm. songs. And there was a whole movement, you know. And uh, I think that's maybe yeah, maybe that's that's yeah, that was my identity apart from being interested in in music. And so how old were you when all of this went down? I think I was um, uh, 15, 16, something like this, 17. Okay, so te a teen. And then, period. yeah, and then you said you then moved uh, to, you had to do some civil service, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then what happened after that? Yeah, I don't know. I was a little bit. I had a, uh, um, uh, I had a, a, a possibility. I could study geography and, and history, which I possibly should have done at the time. But I was a bit tired of school, and you know, I, you know, when you are in uh, thirteen years in school, uh, you will get really. I thought it's enough for a while, you know. So I made an apprent apprenticeship. I, um, I became a toolmaker in a in a. In a uh, in a tool workshop in the in the area just because I didn't know what to do you know so I thought maybe I I, I, I do something practical and then later I can study again and then later I of course I studied again but maybe not geography and history as I should have done but 
um, that was that was sometimes it's like this. So you never do the 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 thing what is actually right. Maybe there are some detours in life, you know. Yeah, I, I never knew that about you. Um, can, can you still create tools? <laughs> that create tools. You work with uh, you know with slate machines and uh, and mills and stuff like this. You know, so it's it's just I because I had my A levels. You know, I there was the apprenticeship was three and a half years, and I did it in two years. And then I left because I, I didn't, uh, the company was not very good, you know, so I just left and said, okay, now I, I do what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that? What, what, what did you want to do? I don't know. I, I was, um, I, um, I, I became a youth worker at the time, meaning um, maybe, maybe some, somebody who organizes young people, who does stuff with them, you know, those, uh, we, did, we organized some weekends, we did some discussions about uh, things, what we, what, what are important topics for us. And we went for little holidays and uh, all this kind of stuff, you know, so I, I became, I went to uh, quite a bigger, much bigger city, which is called Stuttgart, uh, which is in the same area, but what quite, quite a few hours away which is, was a very big city for me. And um, so I, maybe I just wanted to go away and see something else. So I was there for a few years, I was uh, doing this. And then, then of course I, I thought again, what, what should I study? And at the time, I think it was IT was very much uh, on walk and many, many of my friends uh, became IT people, programmers or, um, IT consultants, and I thought, okay, maybe that's that's a way, which I, what I can do after my this uh, work with young people. Maybe that's something interesting, and I can also earn my money. And then, <laughs> when I finished my my studies in Stuttgart, then I um, I went to work in Basel. Basel is in Switzerland, and. And started working in a, in a very good company and had a very good job and that was very established in a way. And then I had this feeling, um, I don't know, I was not very, I was happy with everything, but I felt uh, something else should happen, you know. And then again, I combined my, my interest in music came back to me. And interestingly, in this uh, city in Switzerland, I got contact with a... Uh, with people who were in into Indian music. Uh, so there were North Indian musicians, there were South Indian musicians, and I got all contact to them. And, uh -huh. um, and up somehow... until this point, sorry to cut in, but up until this yes. point, had you been listening to Indian music or had any feel for the culture or? I think I think I was um, once when I when I was in Stuttgart, I went there was a concert of Ravi Shankar, of course, Ravi Shankar, everybody knows, knows him. And, but, but uh, I think among my friends, Ravi Shankar or anyway, they didn't know what Ravi Shankar is. You know, it was a kind of synonym for something esoteric. <laughs> yeah. Because they had no idea. And I, mm. I, I decided, oh, I want to, see, I, I know that's fantastic music, you know, so I want to, I, I, I don't know, I want to go and experience this. So none of my friends went with me. So I went just on my own for the concert. 
And of course, it was a fabulous concert. It was, I don't know, three, four hours. You know, it was an yeah. amazing concert. And I had no idea about Hindustani music at the time, you know. Wow. But I, I mean, there was uh, just something within you that drew you to this concert. Yeah, I think it's just, um, I think often in my life, I just do something what I feel like I have to do, not, not because all the peers do the same thing, you know. And before I was listening to rock and jazz and all this stuff, you know, but not so much uh, to Indian classical music. So this was my first access to it. And I think also maybe uh, uh, before I came to Basel, oh yeah, that's something very important. I, I had a break. So there was uh, about three months. I had to wait till I can start my work. And I had a little bit money saved. And there was also a, a big wish in my head wants to travel to India. And wow. again, uh, of course, nobody, nobody was there to join me for three months. You know, I had three months and I wanted to go there for a longer time to experience something proper. So I went again completely on my own. Traveled there, had a rucksack and that stuff. And uh, <laughs> were you were you scared? Ideas. Were you were you nervous going all by yourself? I was, but uh, not, not scared. But I I I I know at the time that was uh, eighty nine, and eighty nine India was very different from today, you know. And um, and I, but I had a very good Sri Lankan friend, a Tamil friend from Sri Lanka. And he has been in Tamil Nadu and he told me about some contacts and stuff and like this. So I went, uh, basically flew into Chennai, Madras at the time and traveled all along the coast down to Rameshwaram and then to Kerala, Karnataka and back to Chennai in three months time. Wow. Uh, okay. So break it down for me. So you are this, this German boy who comes from a small village uh, who loves music um and you, you land in india how, how do you feel what, what was it like i think um at the beginning it was a complete cultural shock it was really i was not prepared for that so i um because it was there was no facilities in that sense you know and uh, i came out i traveled into central Chennai or uh, central madras at the time and arrived there somewhere and I had no idea how to look for hotels or what is the quality of places. And uh, I was just, I was really lost, you know. But anyway, I found something and I went to a restaurant and ate something. I had no idea what to order, you know, even. <laughs> yeah. I've never eaten any Indian food before. But so um, I think it, it's, it was okay. And then I left the big city and I went to smaller places in Tamil Nadu which was in a way uh, more difficult because there were no, not so many uh, places to stay overnight. And the places are really, really um, uh, not very nice. You know, there were really no comparison to what you have today. Of course. Uh, very basic, you know, and lots of cockroaches and stuff running all, around. All so those nice not, things. <laughs> it's not so easy. And um, I think it was uh, slowly, and I think after two weeks I was fine, you know, then I felt, oh, my, I really loved uh, the people and and at the beginning it was so difficult because they all came to talk to you and, and so you couldn't just sit somewhere in the sand and on the coast along the Tamil coast and look into the sunset or something. There was always somebody to talk to you and in a way it was nice, you know, because the people were very friendly and and they were all uh, mostly young people. They wanted to, to 
to test their English, you know. So that was yeah. something I was so, yeah, me, talking about. I, I stood out, you know. Yeah, of course. We're well, talking about language. So did you know any, like any of the Indian languages at all? Or what languages did you know at that point? No, I think in school, I, I, I studied uh, English and French and uh, yeah, that's that was basically yeah. it, you know. I had no knowledge about uh, any Indian languages before mm-hmm. I arrived in India. Yeah. And somehow I, I managed to survive uh, with English, especially in, in South India. It's not very, even at the time, it was not very difficult to find somebody who speak English. And uh, Yeah, so you, was, you made, you, you got through that. You pick, up, you pick up words in Tamil and in Malayalam and all this. So I think, uh, so I, this was the first introduction, you know, you learn about uh, the different languages. You have the South Indian language group and the North Indian language group. And it's all new to me in a way, you know, I learned very much being there and talking to the people and people explaining me what's happening and all this. Now, I think it's fair to say that after that first trip, you then got sort of um, addicted to India, shall we say, after that. So why don't you tell us what happened afterwards? I think then I, I, as I said, I went to Basel to work in a company. And uh, I think then I, um, I think I met a musician uh, who, who was actually in India, I met a musician who was actually Swiss studying Hindustani music in Chennai. <laughs> what are the chances? <laughs> and, and of course, I didn't understand. He explained me the differences, you know, the music. Actually, he's not in the right area to study Hindustani music, but he had a Hindustani teacher and all this. Uh, he was a sitar player. And and uh, he gave me some some interesting people, so Aliak Pakan to listen to, of course, Ravi Shankar and... So I made a list of all these people, and later I tried to to find uh, recordings and try to listen to the music. and uh, And when I was in Basel, I tried to find out what are the local communities, you know. And there was this um, student of uh, Aliak Pakan, which is uh, uh, Ken Zuckerman, a famous uh, Sarat player, and um, he had this little Hindustani music circles. And I was yeah. introduced to that and sat with the people who were singing uh, Hindustani music and um, he was teaching us um, some basic stuff and uh, I think that was the first introduction. So and then so you found this sort of small community um, and how did the relationship with the with Indian music how did it develop from there? Did you did you learn any Indian instruments yourself? I think at the time uh, uh, I was not uh, uh, in this area. I was about four years in in in, in Switzerland, uh, working there. So I had not uh, enough. We did mainly vocal, you know. So I, I learned learned the basic uh, understanding of music, listening to concerts and stuff like that. So it was not. Um, I didn't have the idea I, I need to learn an instrument. Maybe I, I, of course, I played guitar before and stuff, but I felt uh, maybe it's quite difficult, you know. I remember I once were in the class with Ali Akbar Khan, and he was mainly teaching us vocal. And um, uh, I think that's the vocal is, was possible, but I felt I, I, I feel, didn't feel comfortable to play such a complicated instruments like the sarotis, you know. So anyway, maybe I didn't, uh, but I, I felt very much interested in different uh, Indian musics. Uh, I re- I, of course, I realized it's not only Hindustani music, there's also Carnatic music, 
there's there are different dances and there are different folk music styles and of course there's a Bollywood um, so I think that's a complete new world you know so I think at, at that time I decided to travel again to India to have a better look at it so I traveled 191 92 93 consecutive years I went back to India traveling and learning things and and then I already had my audio recorder I had a quite a um, cassette at the time <laughs> yeah. a very up, upmarket uh, audio recorder from Sony with a <laughs> yeah. nice microphone and all this so I, I, I recorded music especially in Kerala so I was in different areas interviewed people I went to, to temples listening to music, recording the music and went sometimes there was some, some sound from, from any house, some Nadeshwara player uh, with the tavil drums and I just went inside and I said oh please sit down you are invited and all this so they always call you in you know and you can just sit down and then I, I started uh, recording and and then Why, what, what brought you to do, start the recording I, I have no idea I I, I, I don't know I, I just love this this idea to capture the music and the uh, the sounds also you know the, the, this amazing sounds you know it was not as noisy from the traffic at that time as it is today even the small towns they're so noisy nowadays you don't hear anything anymore but at the time you can walk through a, a, this middle uh, small towns you can walk around and there's a temple bells you know somebody's writing somebody's um, uh, reciting some shlokas in sanskrit in tamil uh, some people were singing some songs in the temple and you could on the street you could hear all this you know i think the sounds i was really i was completely uh, uh vexed by this idea you know this this immersed the, by it idea, I, I need to capture it for whatever purpose you know yeah well we're all glad that you did <laughs> um <laughs> and i see you've gone around india um how old were you at this point in your 20s 30s and so my thirtieth friend already yes. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and then so how did you then end up in London where you where you currently live was that was it straight from India or did you go did you live anywhere else on route no, no, no. I, I was I was in I was a couple of times in India just holidays you know mm. so and then I came back and maybe I have to finish the, the story with the recording when I came back that's an important uh, aspect because I wanted to do something with the recordings. Yeah. So there was a, lo a local radio station in, uh, in Freiburg, which is in the same area in the Upper Rhine Valley. And they did, they did uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, so they were kind of alternative radio station, which today you have many, but at the time, that was the first one in the yeah. whole region. And I went there and I say, oh, I have this amazing recordings and oh, can you come around and bring some examples and I played them lots of stuff and they say, oh, can you... Uh, can you do a radio show? I said, yes, of course I can, I can write something. And I went virtually home and there was an Easter holiday. And, um, and I, I, I sat down and I, I wrote four hours of uh, radio shows, different, wow. four different areas of, of uh, in uh, Kerala and Karnataka. So it's four different areas where I have been and describe the area and describe the music and uh, uh, 
uh, put in the, the, the titles in the, in the, in the center, you know. So I, I thought we, we are going to the radio station and then everything will be nicely produced, what I do nowadays. But it was not like this. They said, when I arrived there with, with my, my script and all my recordings, some of them on tape, some of them on records, um, yeah, on CD, mostly on my own tapes, you know, you have to go forward and backward to find the right place and all this. Yeah. And then they said, oh, we do it. I said, what do you mean how we do it? No, we do it live. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so you, so you weren't expecting we were, that. So we was uh, reading the script and there was a, a woman and, and I had a, a one voice for myself in, in first person, my own experience. And then somebody who's writing, reading the comments. Somehow I, I got this uh, without any training, I just did it, you know. You just <laughs> and, and, she, and she was reading this, and um, and of course we were not very good, you know. And she was actually worse than me. I realized later on, you know. And it was my first radio show. And anyway, then then we <laughs> we produced exactly four hours, four different programs, and it was broadcast straight away. Wow, what an opportunity! And then I think at the time and, and shortly afterwards, I wanted to go to the real radio station, to the big radio station, which is like the BBC here in London. And um, I, I had, of course, I had the cassettes with the program, which I did before. And there was one woman, she, she was interested in Indian music. She listened actually to, my, <laughs> to this bad radio show I did. And, and she said, oh, wow, it's badly produced, but it's um, amazing stuff, you know. I like your, your way of introducing the different areas through music. And then I got a chance to do a professional radio program. And interestingly, I'm still producing with the same radio station till today. So every wow. year, one or two programs. So the same station in, in Germany, you still yeah. do that now? Oh, incredible. Maybe my first program was in 91 or two. Yeah. And I think the last program, when did I do the last this year? Yeah. The last program. Oh, great. And so at this point, you're a radio DJ by profession, it seems. No, I think it was just the kind of hobby type. I did it mm. uh, on my side, you know, I, I was working mm. and then I just, just interesting, but I, it was a, a way to express your ideas and your feelings yeah. and you're compelled to read enough, you know, and then I started uh, reading and uh, because I read a lot about Indian, Indian history and music and uh, philosophy and culture and different people, different communities. And yeah, well, great. And so how did you explore that further? What happened next? I think it was that, that was 94. And uh, at the time, my, uh, my partner in life and I somehow, we were both interested. We traveled a couple of times to India. Uh, we decided we uh, we want to stay longer. We have saved a little bit of money, and the idea was to go to India, stay maybe a year or two, uh, and then we said, okay, maybe on the way to India we go to London for three months. Maybe that's a good way to get. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting city, and uh, I've been there when I was sixteen already, yeah. so I know it's an exciting place and music and culture and stuff like this. Uh, so we decided, oh, maybe we stay for three months uh, and then I will, uh, then we travel to India from there. So that was the idea. So we had a, uh, we had really a, um, a big party in the Black Forest, one, two days. We invited all our friends and then later we decided uh, 
we we travel without yeah. any return ticket or something you know wow it was really like this it was really like this we had a a, a rucksack and a suitcase whatever yeah two rucksacks and a couple of things and then we went to london and that's it wow so you really are this free spirit <laughs> that's great um, and so you went to london and then so what spent three months there and then to india no we didn't we no. <laughs> So this is this is where the story turns. In London, it, 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 it's not so easy to get to, to know people at the beginning. You know, we really knew a single person in London at that time, one. <laughs> and but we had a good start in a way, and uh, and uh, somehow after one year, suddenly we we get uh, we get uh, started working and all this. And after one year, we decided, okay, now it's the time. To go to India, and we went for one and a half years and uh, lived mainly in in the South Indian state of Kerala. Mm. One and, a half. and then we came back, and the rest is history. <laughs> okay, so now tell me about about London, um, and specifically your education in London, because I, I know you went to SOAS. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. This that's the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. Uh, what what did you study there? Yeah, so I uh, when when I came back from this one and a half years uh, staying mainly in Kerala, but not only, but uh, I I had to do first. First, I had to earn some money, so I I started uh, first. Uh, I worked at uh, Citibank because I was an IT professional, and there was money there. I needed money urgently after this travel, so I. I, I spent a few years working for them. And at the same time, I built up some ideas what I want to do because I didn't want to work in IT. That was not my aim, but I wanted to do something else. What I wanted to do, it was not clear for me, you know. And then I had some friends, they were they were already studying at SOAS and they said, oh, SOAS is maybe a good place for you. And then a very good friend, she is actually Tamil, and uh, she studied at SOAS, just finished uh, a master. He said, you know, you, you, have a, you have a basic degree, isn't it? And you have done lots of uh, radio shows and stuff. Can you, not, uh, um, can you not study uh, doing a master degree in ethnomusicology? That might be the right thing for you. So I went to SOAS and asked, I was interested in ethnomusicology or anthropology one or the other. And then I came first to the ethnomusicology department and uh, and uh, yeah, and then I got a very good impression and I thought maybe that's a way to, to study uh, uh, music in the cultural context, which uh, anybody was interested in. And maybe that's something I could further develop, you know. So I was not mainly thinking about the career, I was thinking about something what I like to do, you know your passion and yeah so i maybe i was never thinking about actually a career out of it you know yeah. but uh yeah so i i went there and uh, did one year master in ethnomusicology wow incredible and then so this was your hobby your passion your your real interest so then how did that become a career i think i think the 
maybe the again the radio I, I did uh, all over the all the years I, I continued doing the radio shows I uh, recorded music and of course when I was in Kerala I, uh, I spent months and months and months traveling with temple musicians in Kerala so I, I became part of the temple musicians in Kerala they are very different from Tamil Nadu temple musician because they belong to the temples and the play in the temples these are the big orchestras playing Jandamalan and Panjavadyam and all these things. So I became kind of part of them. And whenever they went up in the night for performance, I went up with my microphone, my uh, recorder and recorded. So I think I have about 200 hours or 300 hours of music. Wow, on a cassette? <laughs> related, related to the temple festivals in, yeah. in Kerala. So wow. it's maybe the biggest collection from this early time, meaning the 96, 97. And, um, and at SOAS, I had the chance to work on that. So they, they said, oh, maybe you should look into, maybe you should do your dissertation. Um, and then I, I decided I want to write uh, a book about it. So I did, I did this dissertation as a short form. And then I wrote a book about uh, Kerala temple music which was later published in India and it's still available. So it's a kind oh. of, maybe there was a first account about the, the, the temple music of Kerala in a, in a comprehensive way. And everything was already based on uh, what the people um, told me, the people, the, the people meaning the musicians. Uh, so everything was based on the oral history interviews. At the time, I didn't know the word. Yeah, but, uh, but it was basically their knowledge, you know, and in the book was actually the, the knowledge of these people. And of course, I have credited them all. Okay. And I think that started the thing. And then I started producing CDs afterwards and uh, uh, made events and exhibitions and stuff. And slowly, I think it, it, it gathered pace. And in 2000, I left Citibank. I had a little bit of money saved and I started, I said, okay, now I start. If I don't have time the whole day, I cannot develop my, my ideas. You know, you need time to develop things. So I started very, on a very low level, but it developed over time. Yeah, it definitely developed. Um, and museum exhibitions is uh, something that you do a lot. Um, it's actually how you met my mom as well. Uh, do you want to explain that? Maybe the first exhibition you did with her? I think um, um, the, f the major exhibition I was involved with was uh, the, the exhibition at the Horniman Museum. It was called Ut Utsavam, Music from India. And I was the co-curator with uh, the Horniman curator, Margaret Burley. And I think it was the first Indian musical instrument exhibition in London. And a very comprehensive and maybe there was the only one on such a high level uh, and it was based to on field work in India on, uh, on collecting in India so it was really a major exhibition which was open for eight, eight months and with lots of events and I was involved in that and I organized events I, I was co-writing or co-curating together with the Ornament Museum I basically worked there with them for at the museum for I don't know one and a half years or so, and um, and then one day uh, I had a nice guest and her name was uh, Lata Desai. She wanted to see the exhibition. She came around and 
and she was very excited about the instruments and was listening and you know this kind of ideal uh, vis museum visitors you know and then she said oh we have this idea of uh, doing a exhibition on indian strings and dances which was later called but she was wanted to combine dances and string instruments from the hindustani traditions uh, in an exhibition so it, it was based on, on, on community ideas. And uh, she asked me what I would like to help on that. I said, okay, why not? Yeah, what was your knowledge of Indian dance back then? Did you have any knowledge or was it more in the music? I think uh, not not much actually, you know, to be honest. Of course, I, I uh, every week I went to performances. So there was the, at the time, the South Bank Center was very active. They had lots of performances. So I went mm. to virtually virtually every event and watched the performances, you know, and read about it. And uh, in Kerala, I was watching the, the um, Katakali and also a very good friend of mine. He's a famous Katakali actor. So he introduced me to some uh, uh, yeah, important basics of, of this dance form. And it's definitely some kind of formative dance form in India, which is very, has a clear link to ancient times to the 16th century or something, which not necessarily all the other dancers have. Yeah, and temple roots. They were actually recreated in the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah. I think it's uh, basically... Uh, learning by doing you 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 watch things and you listen to people to you interview people you learn from people i think that's maybe the the key and so you did the indian strings and dance uh exhibitions i remember that i was very small but i do remember that <laughs> um and what are some of the other like major exhibitions or projects that you worked on sort of in the last few years yeah i think um I think with with Lata, I later uh, did another exhibition, which, which was called Gujarati Yatra, which was uh, based uh, at the Croydon Museum, which was related to the historic uh, travels of the Gujarati pe people from India to Africa and from Africa into Britain. And we were showing this process in a major exhibition in Croydon. And presently we are preparing an exhibition for the Brent Museum, which is called Roots and Changes in Gujarati Influences, which focuses more on the changes uh, Gujarati people have um, achieved in this country. So how, how this country was shamed, shaped by immigrant communities. Uh, I think that's a different aspect. And so I think from, uh, I think one part is, is the roots in India and one part is actually the the, the what happens in this country, what happens especially in London as, as a kind of cultural melting pot, you know, and I think that's that's the place I always stayed here and then I became a proper Londoner because I like this kind of idea mm -hmm. that people live together in such a big place and uh, all the cultures can actually have a part of it, you know, become the identity of such a city, you know, maybe that's something what I liked. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. You've you, you called yourself a you know a Londoner. <laughs> um, do, how do you do you connect with your you know your your Roaring Valley roots? Do you still have family there? Do you do you miss it? I think uh, I think on your way you pick up. Uh, you asked me at the beginning about identities. Mm. I think you pick up identities on the way in your life. You know, I clearly 
um, maybe of, of course I have an identity coming from this uh, border area, France, Switzerland, Germany, and I lived uh, in the border area in, in, in Switzerland, which is in Basel as well. And um, I think you, you have, that's something which is that definitely is still there. I, I enjoy the, the, the culture there and the, 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 the good quality of food and wine and all this. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, having lived in London now for, I don't know, 26 years or so, uh, of course, it's, it's a big a major part in my life. And so it also makes an impact on you, you know, so you clearly become not necessarily British because that's not important, but in London, you are just uh, as everybody else. Uh, most people come from somewhere, have a different uh, roots in different places, I think in London. Um, everybody's accepted uh, and I think that's I always felt that's uh, generally people are welcome here and uh, and uh, I think that's maybe a good example for the world uh, definitely possibly, possibly everywhere uh, people should live together like here you know so of course I'm not saying everything is uh, is uh, is good and everything is easy racism is there and all this but but I think generally I think uh, it's it's a, it works very well here you know that people come together and every community who comes to London enriches the society brings something yeah. new you know so that's so that's how I feel and that's maybe my second identity and of course the third identity is having this uh, long stays in India and uh, meeting so many people there that's also some, something which makes makes a major impact and till today i'm a member of a Malayali community in Groydon and uh, yes sometimes invite me for things and so i, I feel connected to this yeah. uh, communities as well you know so that's maybe that's uh, maybe that's an, enough so that's maybe multiple identities and that's in the end i'm okay. just myself you know? yeah what have you or have you adopted anything from the Indian culture do you feel in the way that you live your life or your beliefs I think at, at the, I think I told you about this early visit uh, this uh, when I was in India for three months I realized you know that you have many 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 different social levels in a, in a society you know which is which I have never seen before, you know, so I have been in remote areas in the remote villages in India. And of course, uh, the, the living style is very different to what we have here in, in the bigger cities, also this bigger cities in India, you know, but, but still, I think you understand that, uh, that uh, uh, I think you should, uh, what I learned is that you should be happy with what you are, what you have, and uh, you shouldn't. Uh, there shouldn't be an aim that you, you, um, yeah, your property, your your material value should increase and increase and increase. I think you should think about the the focus of, of on culture and on of maybe a way of life. You know, I, I think that's what was was maybe. A, a, was a very important impact on me, you know, the way of life that you uh, find your own way of life uh, and you learn from the different uh, communities. And all this. Community, and, I mean, you definitely have. Hmm? Sorry, sorry, carry on. And uh, I think and something maybe a little bit less important is maybe, of course, I like uh, uh, eating Indian food and, you know, <laughs> 
but that's maybe not that's a little bit trivial but it's also an important part you know because you you identify with the with the community and of course I said before, music and culture is part of it, you know. So I, I listen to all kinds of music and all, all kinds of stuff. And but but maybe Indian music is something important. For sure. Um, and I just just really want to quickly ask you about one of your uh, latest projects. With forgive me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, the Malipa community in Kerala. Is that correct? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Mapla. <laughs> Mapla. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I knew Mapla, I would watch it. Mapla community. Mapla community is a is a very early uh, Muslim society uh, community in in the coastal area in Kerala, and they are descendants of Arab seafarers. So the Ara Arab seafarers came with the monsoon from uh, the Arab, different Arab countries, most most probably Oman, and settled in a certain part of the year in Kerala and married some of the, the people along the coast. And then they established their house and all this, and then they went back, but also they came back and some people stayed on, you know. And today you have this community, which is a really indigenous community, which was has been created already at the, from the sixth century onwards, you know, so very early and um, and these people, you still find them in, in, in the coastal area in Kerala, especially the north of Kerala. And um, I think one uh, part of their identity is that they still uh, believe in Islam, but of course they have their own way, the South Indian way of Islam, and their way of praying. And, uh, and the food is a little bit mixed. It's mainly South Indian, but also they have Arabic influences in their food as well. So they love the biryani, which is not necessarily a South Indian dish, but uh, the, the maplas thing, biryani is a typical mapla yeah. dish. You know, that's, it's, it's served everywhere, even in the non-mapla area. And of course they have, a, they have also their own uh, music style. Like most of the Kerala communities have their own music and dance and they have have it as well. So I, I went there and I had a, a commission for a magazine to write an article about this community and uh, do a little short film. And then we went from different towns and villages along the coast and met people and traveled with musicians and mixed with the people, ate their food. Oh, wow. And they again, said, you, submerging. Have come, you have to come again. Yeah. And, just uh, just uh, one hour ago, I got a phone call and somebody said, you have to come next year. And I said, yeah, I will definitely come next year. And we want to continue this project. Yeah, so watch this space. To, the, to document the, the music of this Maplia community. Sure. And I've read the article, it's really fascinating. And maybe if, if someone listening wants to, to read it or learn more, where, where can they, maybe if you could just say some resources that they could uh, look up on the internet. I think they can find uh, basically a little uh, ways when they go to ralphkilius.com, www.ralphkilius.com. And there you find research, my research, my articles and uh, different projects. And you find also this Mapilla uh, uh, article. There's some links there. So it's the, maybe the starting point for everything. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll put that the, the link to your website in the show notes. And I really, really urge people to ha- have a look at Rolf's website. It's it's, it's very good. I, <laughs> I was impressed and I've known you for a long time. And I, I didn't realise you had done so much of the uh, incredible work. Um, we're running out of time a bit. So I just wanted to end with a quick fire, quick fire round. <laughs> um, I, so I'm going to ask you some questions. I say quick fire, but please take your time. Um, nothing serious. So... First question, what is your favorite instrument? I think uh, I loved very much when I was in Kerala, I loved the Kerala drum gender, which is uh, looks like a European marching drum, but played in a very different way. This gives you a really amazing sound and uh, it's very used in a very versatile way. and. And the drummers are regarded as the elite of Kerala musicians. Oh, wow. Incredible. All right, next question. Um, maybe I already know the answer to this, but what, 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 where, what is your favorite place in, in India? I think I have to say a different place than Kerala. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe upper uh, Assam, the Assam Valley. And, and why so? Because of the environment, you know, maybe maybe that comes back to my up, uh, upbringing, coming from a river delta, and I love very much the, the Brahmaputra, and uh, there's a big island called Majuli Island, and I was staying there for three months, and um, Majuli is surrounded by the Brahmaputra River. It looks like an island in the ocean somewhere, you know, and uh, it's everything is green, and uh, the birds are there coming every year, and uh, and very interesting culture and village culture. So it's quite nice. And the people have still a little bit um, a pace of life, which is different from Delhi or Bangalore or Chennai or Mumbai. It's just a slower space. Yeah. And just lastly, where do you see the future for for Rolf (laughs) Kilius? I don't know. I'm. I don't know. I, I just. Uh, I'm perfectly happy with the present right now. I'm not really. I don't think many years in advance. I think I'm. I listen to people. What's what's coming along my way? You know, I, I pick up what's coming along my way. So I'm. I'm yeah, always thinking. I'm... What I do now and maybe the next day. I, I'm not not lit, literally the like next day, but. I don't live so much in 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 the future. I live very much in a in the present, you know. Well, that's very evident from from your entire life. It's very much, you know, take it as it comes and immerse yourself in in new challenges, new cultures. That's something to to definitely learn from you. Um, and just very quickly, I know you've got the upcoming uh, exhibition with my mom next year. Um, th- so that's cool. If you could just say the name again for everyone, it's. Roots and Changes, Gujarati Influences. And it opens on the 13th of March, 2021. And there will be a huge online uh, opening at 1 p.m. And there will be a little on-site opening according to the rules, of course. And, but anyway, everybody can join the online event and hopefully we get the Mayor of London, Sati Khan to speak and some other people. And it will be definitely a nice event and there will be some 
some nice dances from the Saprang Arts. Ah. <laughs> yeah. People. I think it will be a, a fun event, you know, not a boring online lecture or something. No, no, never not. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Rolf. Thank you very much.